0: Thank you, and uh, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray.
1: My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray.
0: For those of you who perhaps have never listened to our shows, they run every third Friday of the month from 7 till 8 p.m., and we are both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. And we run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and recommend herbal medicine and dietary advice. And this month, we are again very pleased and fortunate to welcome Dr. Ray Pete back to this show. And we'll be discussing the 10 most toxic things in our food. So welcome to Ask Your Herb Doctor, Dr. Ray Pete. Hello. Thank you. Okay. Um. Uh, well, I think what I should start by doing is uh, opening up this show um, and just ask you um, to mention your uh, your academic background for those people who perhaps have never um, heard you.
2: Okay. Um, I used to teach uh, linguistics and literature and such, but um, I got interested in nutrition and other parts of biology, endocrinology and such, so I went back to graduate school In 1968 I got a PhD taking most of my coursework in biochemistry and uh, reproductive physiology Uh, so it's uh, mostly uh, endocrine uh, chemistry that I've uh, been studying ever since
1: so for the last 45 years dr. Pete has been doing nutritional counseling in uh, reproductive physiology and hormones especially specializing in hormones. Is that correct, Dr. Pete?
2: Yes. Um, I was doing it uh, somewhat in the early 60s, just uh, from what I could uh, learn uh, incidentally uh, without actually taking coursework in it.
1: Wow. So we have a very um, experienced nutritionist, physiologist, endocrinologist joining us tonight, Dr. Ray Pete. We're very happy to have you on our show tonight.
0: Okay, I think what we wanted to uh, go over this week, uh, for those people who've just tuned in, um, are the 10 most toxic things in our food. Um, Incidentally, um, I would say probably 50% of our interaction with clients consulting with us uh, is based on their diet and changing their diet, modifying their diet, in terms of getting them to cut out eating those foods that are negatively impacting their health and encourage them to switch to other foods that are positively affecting their health and probably the other 50% is uh, herbs and or other, um, yeah, other preparations. So diet is very important. I think uh, that adage you are what you eat is very appropriate and uh, so for tonight's show uh, people that are listening uh, you should probably take note uh, in England, there are very descriptive ingredients on all the foods that you'll buy. Um, it almost seems a bit ridiculous sometimes when you look at the wrapper of some foods because there's such a lot of information about the ingredients that uh, it almost almost covers up the uh, uh, the packets uh, and and the kind of uh, advertising they're trying to do for the food. But it's very good. It, uh, lets people know exactly what ingredients are in the product. Everything has to be disclosed. And I think that the thing that will come out tonight uh, when we cover uh, the 10 products that are known to cause, uh, I would say, disease or symptoms in people that may lead to disease, uh, these things are very easy to spot on packaging in England, whereas in America there certainly is in the legislation uh, allowable, um, what I would say, uh, non-disclosure uh, of certain ingredients. And Dr. Pete, when uh, we go through these ingredients, you you can perhaps expand on some of those things that are allowable um, by law to be included and not be detailed on the ingredient packaging. Um, so I know the uh, one of the main things that um, has come to light are the ever-increasing processing agents used in foods uh, to the point now where food... If you want to call it food in some cases, can be uh, basically broken down into a soup, rehomogenized, put into molds, pressed and formed into a certain type of food. Uh, and this is becoming, uh, I would almost say, an art, not in the uh, sense of being creative or artistic for itself, but for the sake of selling a product and turning a pretty non edible food into and apparently edible and apparently good for you food. So um, the transglutaminases um, are a group of uh, compounds, uh, basically meat glue, if you like. Um, so these are the uh, um, uh, prop, prop, uh, agents that will bind uh, meats together. So, Dr. Pete, would you, um, I know you have uh, a lot of experience with the things that we're going to mention tonight, so i be very I'm very pleased if you would uh, talk a little about the transglutaminases, what they do, and, and their negative impacts on the foods that they're found in.
2: Um, the celiac disease has been uh, pretty much explained as uh, an overlap between a part of the gluten protein molecule and a natural enzyme that we have in all of our cells and systems, uh, the transglutaminase, which... Six proteins together. And uh, this is induced by uh, lots of things to increase its quantity or decrease it. Uh, for example, the ACE inhibitors for mm-hmm. treating blood pressure yeah. have been discovered to uh, block it to the extent that uh, people's skin uh, it can fall off the, the epidermis separates and mm-hmm. forms blisters
3: mm-hmm.
2: and comes loose because of inhibiting the transglutaminase. But uh, other things can intensify the action. Estrogen, for example, uh, will cause a premature hardening of the uh, epidermis. Uh, the, the cells are uh, flattened and keratinized uh, under the influence of estrogen, which is uh, antagonized by vitamin A. Uh, the uterus and the skin and the breast are are places that especially involve uh, these interactions uh, of uh, the, the uh, hardening enzyme. And breast cancer and uterine cancer uh, contain uh, very large amounts of... Um, oh, overproduction of the transglutaminase of certain kinds hmm. and uh, the um, in the the antibody reactions that are involved in celiac disease um, can inactivate the natural enzyme when it occurs and for example <clears throat> scleroderma the uh, hardening and calcification of the skin and other membranes um, can uh, apparently overlap considerably with celiac disease uh, okay. I- involving uh, over activation of, of the transglutaminase enzyme would
0: you would you say that um being being related to estrogen that females would be at greater risk
2: um yeah uh, all of the autoimmune diseases are much more frequent, 5 or 10 times for some of them, right. in women compared to men. And uh, I'm not sure how big a role transglutaminase uh, plays in those, but uh, that is one enzyme that uh, is very susceptible to forming autoantibodies right. uh, under the influence of estrogen.
0: Right. Now these autoantibodies will be directed at attacking self. Yeah. Okay, so what kind of uh, what kind of typically what kind of foods will contain larger than normal amounts of these uh, transglutaminases?
2: Uh, well the th- the worst thing about the, the use of these products is that uh, they are industrially manufactured in microorganisms mm-hmm. genetically modified and uh for I guess about 30 years now uh, organisms have been uh, used uh, for uh, modifying foods. And uh, when the Japanese pioneered the uh, 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 genetic modification of microorganisms to produce amino acids, uh, people were thinking they were buying a pure chemical substance. But uh, I ran across many people who uh, uh, said that they they believe they almost died when they took a a pure amino acid preparation, and uh, the the um, it, it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, to thoroughly purify anything made in a microorganism uh, f- to the extent that it won't be allergenic. Right. So the uh, the worst thing is that you're getting junk from microorganisms and industrial. Processes
0: right, and these can't be removed. Well, they're very difficult to remove.
2: Yeah, as as far as I know, it's impossible to mm. absolutely purify them. But it, they purify them enough to satisfy government regulations. Right.
1: right. So they're taking bacteria, fungi, and um, yeast to and genetically engineering them and genetically modifying them to produce various chemicals. And the transglutaminases are one of these things that get produced through genetic modification
2: yeah and and, uh, they're uh, becoming more and more popular with uh, restaurant uh, chefs to um, uh, prepare things uh, individually uh, rather than industrially
3: yes that was a
1: very interesting article you sent us that was talking about the chefs uh, you know wrapping chicken with uh, bacon, and if they just applied a little bit of this meat glue, the bacon conveniently stuck to the little bit of chicken breast. So um,
2: didn't have to use skewers or other. And uh, and uh, they're getting very skillful. And uh, for example, soybean protein can be uh, shaped and modified and glued together to to resemble e- even the fibrous texture of meat and uh, scraps. That are that are uh, salvaged from the slaughterhouse uh, can be uh, glued together to look like meat, and they can form it uh, so that it looks like uh, specific uh, lamb chop cuts or pork chops mm-hmm. or rib steaks or whatever. That... Uh, and they're very good, convincing copies.
0: Mm-hmm. They, they don't want to waste anything. If they can find a a, uh, a byproduct or a, a waste product and turn it into a product, that's uh, that's good for
2: good uh, for business, isn't it? Yeah, probably sure. where most people are exposed to the transglutaminases would be in the uh, chicken or fish uh, chunks that are uh, very neatly formed to a certain shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, or in uh, delicatessens, uh, they have a so-called roast beef, or roast turkey that uh, comes in Hmm. very symmetrical Mm -hmm. uh, tubes (laughs) or lobes Uh,
1: now well most of us here um, in Humboldt County no I don't know if I could say most of us in Humboldt and Mendo but fortunately in California we are blessed with uh, a lot more natural food stores but still it's very prevalent. These delicatessen meats are very prevalent in, in the stores in California and throughout the United States, even though they might be eaten in greater quantities throughout the rest of the U.S., it's, it's quite frightening.
0: So the uh, basically the pressed meats, any, any, any meat that appears in a delicatessen that's been pressed into a certain shape and doesn't look as though it was often animal in that way you just i know that i know what you're saying they do look very different um you may not notice it until you start looking at it properly but they're the kind of meats that will be pressed together and then sliced
2: conveniently
1: or the chicken nuggets or the fish
2: sticks right. yeah or i i think some of the the loaves that have been around for a uh, hundred years or more uh for example head cheese uh, gelatin natural gelatin mm-hmm. uh, was traditionally used to right. make a loaf out of that right. so that would be fine
0: right and yeah, that's the way it, that's the way it was and unfortunately it's been
1: it's been changed so just to recap on these transglutaminases dr they there's something that our body manufactures um, naturally and they have a a purpose but when we take them in increased numbers through these processed foods? Is that when it starts to cause the problems? Yeah,
2: everything that we eat or inhale is um, uh, processed by our immune system, uh, sampling things that uh, hit the intestinal membranes or that leak through the membrane into the bloodstream. And and so the immune system has to decide what to do to these uh, extraneous materials. And it can either... Accept them and uh, allow them to circulate or it can uh, Organize a, a defensive attack against them and it's the uh, defensive inflammatory attack against the uh, extraneous materials such as as a, a microorganism proteins that uh, can trigger the uh, sometimes deadly allergic reactions and it isn't uh, strictly the uh, proteins. The, the immunologist uh, doctrine used to say that uh, it's proteins which are the allergens, but uh, many uh, carbohydrates or starch like gum materials are extremely allergenic. And that has actually been known for 60 or 70 years, but uh, uh, allergists are just now barely accepting the fact.
0: Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garbable, 91.1 FM, and from 7.30 or so until the end of the show, 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated, to this month's topic of the 10 most toxic things in our food. My name's Andrew Murray.
1: My name's Sarah Johansson Murray.
0: And we are joined by guest speaker, Dr. Ray Peat, endocrinologist, biochemist, and physiologist. The number here, if you live in the area, is 923 3911 or if you live outside the area, the toll-free number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. I just wonder quickly, before we move on to the next uh, food product or additive, uh, Dr. Pete, uh, just, could you just quickly mention the health benefits of gelatin? We mentioned the pressed meats and, and the use of transglutaminase to achieve that, where gelatin was always used, and the gelatins a very good product for you. Would you just say a few words about gelatin? Um,
2: yeah, the gelatin it constitutes about 50% of the protein in an animal, and it has the uh, feature of lacking uh, tryptophan, cysteine, and methionine, which uh, the muscle meats, for example, are extremely rich in tryptophan and uh, cysteine and methionine. And those happen to uh, inhibit the thyroid function, suppress metabolism, and promote inflammation, and... uh, Simply eliminating uh, methionine, just one of those, uh, from the diet in animal experiments has increased uh, the maximum lifespan about 40%. Wow. And adults have an extremely low requirement for tryptophan, cysteine, mm-hmm. and methionine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're uh, used for growth processes. And, uh,
1: so as it's well very as important in- for children.
2: Yeah, so they're essential for... For kids to grow up, but once you've achieved your growth, uh, you just need a very small amount to um, make new skin and uh, uh, antibodies and intestinal membranes and hair and nails. Hmm. Uh, but uh, you don't need the vast quantities that we get in the ordinary average proteins. Okay. So, an adult, uh, 40 or 50 years ago, nutritionists wondered how. Uh, little old ladies could be so healthy just eating gelatin and toast <laughs> because uh, they they thought of uh, tryptophan and, and cysteine as essential amino acids, but hmm. uh, uh, old people can uh, essentially live on it with just a, a trace of the others in things like bread and fruit.
0: Right. Good. Okay, so just another reminder for people that uh, I think probably because it just helps... Helps reinforce in my own mind, I think, this kind of conditioning that gelatin is a bad product. It's a, uh, you know, it's, it's created from animal parts and these animal parts are, are not the things that shouldn't be in our diet, but it's actually the reverse and actually gelatin is extremely important.
2: Uh, uh, traditional diets um, made very efficient use of, of things like chicken feet, mm-hmm. uh, pig's ears and tails, right. uh, beef and pork skin and so on. Yeah. Uh, really very, uh, uh, pleasant and nutritious foods,
1: and there have been studies showing the anti-cancer effect of gelatin as well.
2: Yeah, anti-aging and anti-inflammatory. Uh, it it was used medically very widely up until oh, about 50 years ago.
0: Okay, very good. Let's let's move on to the next uh, next food subject, so we can try and get through as many of these as we can before the phones start ringing. So, how about? Um, Gosh, i say additive number two on the list: uh, citric acid and uh, ascorbic acid, the common uh, ingredients that you'll find perhaps on juices, especially orange juice.
2: Um, the the um, I, I started running into uh, people who had mysterious allergies in in Eugene. Uh, uh, they tend to start with the pollen season and then continue with the uh, grass seed uh, field burning uh, in the later summer. But uh, allergies were extremely common in in Eugene. But I found that uh, some people had year-round allergies, and uh, (laughs) they were consistently taking all of the anti-allergy supplements, uh, panasthenic acid, vitamin A, vitamin C, and so on. And I suggested uh, that they try stopping those for a while to see what happens. And I got essentially 100% results in uh, curing the, the local allergies, and uh, that was when I started doing a lot of nutrition counseling because uh, everyone was was so surprised to see that they had been allergic to the supplement, mm, and uh, ascorbic acid <clears throat> that, that caused me to investigate the history of it um, in. 1953, <clears throat> when I worked in the woods, it, uh, the word went around that you could cure uh, poison oak with uh, ascorbic acid, and I tried it myself, and uh, in just two or three days, I completely recovered from a horrible case of poison oak and never caught it again. Um, at that time, it was very expensive to make, and uh, the pills uh, on sale were only 50 milligrams. Uh, several years later, uh, they developed new ways of manufacturing it. Um, uh, one of the um, processes uh, uh, Linus Pauling described as uh, uh, the uh, lead room for uh, making sulfuric acid, which is then the sulfuric acid that is slightly contaminated with lead and other heavy metals then the cornstarch is processed oxidized with with this industrial sulfuric acid and ends up uh, as a, ascorbic acid containing quite a bit of heavy metal. <sighs> and with these new methods uh, I, I found that uh, when people were taking 500 or a thousand milligrams they would often develop cold symptoms when they took it rather than when they didn't take it and uh, it, it apparently is uh, irritating enough to the intestine that it causes endotoxin absorption and uh, inflammation of the nose and uh, throat and chest membranes and uh, citric acid <coughs> is manufactured by uh, very similar methods Uh, to ascorbic acid, and they really uh, shouldn't be considered uh, to have anything to do with the natural uh, ascorbic acid or or citric acid. A person who can uh, get very sick on two milligrams of synthetic ascorbic acid can uh, eat 4,000 milligrams of natural ascorbic acid with no reaction at all.
0: I think that's a very important point, to saying that it's, uh, actually, even though they might call it the same product, actually the industrial manufacturer of it produces a very different effect.
2: Um, yeah, one researcher uh, dissolved a 500 milligram tablet of commercial ascorbic acid mm-hmm. in a liter of water and then put it in a, a machine that measures free radicals. And uh, he said it was... Uh, like a storm of free radicals that wow. he said it's amazing it doesn't uh, it, it was equivalent to something like a uh, hundred rads of no 600 rads wow. of x-rays would wow. take to uh, produce that many free radicals in the wow. water
1: and here people are taking vitamin c for uh, its antioxidant effect
2: yeah he said it, it shows what tremendous antioxidant systems we have in our stomachs that we don't all and die
0: with the first 500 milligram dose wow okay so um i guess let's let's move on because it's it's 727 now um things about how about the gums we see uh things like uh guar gum and locust bean gum and uh carob carob bean gum xanthan gum and carrageenan agar agar and these uh, other similar gums and these um, mucilages, how about those?
2: I was reading the Encyclopedia Britannica yearbooks for the 1947 or so, and I saw that the FDA had declared that they were so allergenic they shouldn't <laughs> be considered fit for use in foods. <laughs> and oh now they're gosh.
1: in everything. And now they're in everything. Most so ice cream, cottage cheese... Um, yeah,
0: yeah, run run through a list of the kind of foods that you'll find these gums and uh, mucilages in.
2: Oh, practically everything. Uh, uh, if it, if uh, they haven't figured out a way to get it into fresh eggs and oranges, it's <laughs> <laughs> but... not yet.
1: <laughs> and oh. even if it doesn't say on the label, that doesn't mean it's not in there, right, Dr. Pete?
2: Uh, yeah, and surprisingly, even organic foods, Uh, Mm -hmm. sometimes they don't have to list uh, things like sulfites (laughs) uh, on the labels, but uh, I think they do have to list carrageenan, but uh, it can be in the food as a a gum thickener, for example, and still be called organic. Mm. But uh, uh, not long ago, there was a publication uh, of uh, a person who died after having an alginate dental impression made wow. uh, uh, with anaphylactic shock and huh. uh, so they're
1: very allergenic because an alginate it would be like the agar agar right
2: yeah and in in the uh... dental school at the university of kansas students were practicing making alginate impressions on each other and uh, out of uh, two hundred and twenty seven there were um, Close to 50 of them who developed wow. blisters wow. in their mouth. Wow. Wow. 18%. It took about five isn't... days to clear up. Wow. So just contact can can in 20% of the people create blisters, and in occasional unlucky people, it can kill them.
0: Wow. So these are really the things that are, if if people that are listening to the show want to think about these things, uh, they're basically the thickeners. So the kind of foods that we found in, I mean, ice cream, believe it or not, it's uh, certainly present in ice cream.
2: And organic
0: whipping cream, i noticed. Okay, whipping cream.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And how about uh, cottage cheese? I and, think we've seen cottage cheese with... Um,
1: yeah, Organic Valley them. and the hmm, clover ahead cottage ahead, yeah. cheese, those have it in there. I'm a fan of cottage cheese, and I was uh, hard-pressed to find one that didn't have it. And finally I found Nancy's. It's quite tart, but it does have it in there. It doesn't have the guar gums in there. And um, so what I eventually did is start started making my own cottage cheese, which is quite simple. So what, are the, lots of what are the foods?
0: <laughs> Let's just quickly mention other foods that people can just take a look at the ingredient panel and see for themselves. So things like ice cream, cottage cheese, um, bread products, uh, cookies, uh, tortillas, believe it or not. Any other foods that spring to mind that are
1: a lot of processed foods? Just yeah. read the labels.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it's the unfortunate thing that processed foods contain a lot of the things that we're going to talk about tonight. Okay, so how about um, let, let's quickly mention this because I know we've spent some time at length talking about them. But um, poofers, the polyunsaturated fatty acids, are a pretty big, uh, pretty big problem. Uh, yeah, the, in
2: natural foods, I think there are two or three. Uh, naturally occurring substances that account for uh, some natural disease and possibly uh, all of the uh, major degenerative diseases. Those are polyunsaturated fats, Mm -hmm. uh, starches, and uh, sometimes uh, an excess of iron in some natural foods, if if you eat that exclusively. Uh, For example, if you ate liver, uh, every day, uh, accompanied by uh, orange juice, you would absorb a toxic amount of, of iron. Right. But uh, uh, just over the, the period of um, several years, uh, you can see the uh, accumulation of the polyunsaturated fats in the tissue. So that old animals have highly polyunsaturated brain tissue and and uh, all through the tissues, it's uh, uh, more unsaturated and the long-lived animals uh, that are uh, remarkable for living longer than you would expect uh, are unusually saturated in their fat.
0: Okay, all right, so um, we'll just basically mention the kind of things so, poofers, you'll find these polyunsaturates in, in things like corn oil, soy oil, uh, fish oils to some extent. Um, and these are things that, not so much the fish oils, but the corners and uh, the other oils, uh, are things that are certainly used as frying, uh, frying oils. The so are things that are you know, basically fried chips or fries, French fries, and other products that are fried. They're usually fried in. Uh, these kind of oils, so and certainly uh, things to look out for. In terms of uh, what they do, Dr. Pete, just quickly mention some of the uh, some of the conditions that they can lead to:
2: um, arthritis, cancer, uh, dementia, um, uh, wrinkly skin, susceptibility to um, sunburn. Um, an article that just came out two months ago. Uh, was looking at the uh, pigment epithelium in the retina, mm-hmm. and uh, they found that uh, the, the linoleic acid in particular, but all of the polyunsaturated fatty acids, uh, created an inflammatory process that uh, basically accelerates the degeneration of the retina. Uh, one of my newsletters a couple of years ago, uh went over that, but this was uh, just a couple of months ago. A new article uh, showed that stearic acid or saturated fatty acids don't do that. Hmm. And uh, for many years, uh, some researchers on alcoholic liver disease have been showing that it's the uh, polyunsaturated fats which cause cirrhosis and hepatitis when they drink alcohol. Okay. Um, in India, alcoholics who are in the butter, uh, ghee, and milk-eating regions uh, okay. don't get cirrhosis.
0: Right. Okay, so the, the cirrhosis is uh, not apparent at all in those, in those people, then. It's purely those people that would drink or consume alcohol in the presence of polyunsaturated uh, oils in their diet.
2: Yeah, and a, a group led by a man named Nanji Uh, has demonstrated that saturated fats can basically cure uh, alcoholic cirrhosis and hepatitis. Wow.
1: Even in the presence of them continuing to drink, um, I think you said uh, 32 ounces of Uh, vodka a day?
2: Uh, That wasn't Nancy's group, but uh, it was uh, about 30 or 40 years ago someone did Allow them to drink a quart of vodka every day, and they still recovered when they had their saturated fats.
1: Wow. So So naturally occurring saturated fats, to recap for our listeners, are butter, coconut oil, palm oil, if it's been separated because there's two portions of the palm oil.
2: Um, Beef and lamb fat and uh, cocoa butter.
1: Yeah. So those are the saturated fats and the polyunsaturated fats, to name a few more, sesame seed oil or even the nuts and seeds in high quantities will provide a lot of uh, polyunsaturated fats if you eat primarily nuts and seeds.
2: And um, chickens and pigs, if they're fed on a high corn and soy diet... Which they all are in this country. Yeah, their fats will be representative of what they were eating.
1: Even our eggs, because all chickens, even if they're fed organic feed... Yeah, fed. they
2: used to talk about the uh, high saturated fat and cholesterol content of eggs, but about 30 years ago, someone decided to reanalyze and found that they're uh, at that time, they were already almost purely polyunsaturated.
1: Wow. So wow. eggs aren't even saturated, don't even have saturated fat anymore because they feed the chickens corn and soy as mm-hmm. the main primary food.
0: Okay. All right. Well, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1. Uh, and any time now until 8 o'clock, uh, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated to this month's topic of the 10 most toxic thing in our food. Uh, my name's Andrew Murray.
1: My name's Sarah Johansson murray
0: And we're joined by guest speaker, Dr. Raymond Peat, endocrinologist, biochemist, and physiologist. The number here, if you live in the area, is 923-3911, or if you're outside the area, 1-800-KMUD-RAD. Okay, so let's let's go on to the uh, next uh, group of food products or food uh, incorporations into food uh, or food, things that make up the uh, bulk of food in some people's diets.
1: Yeah, well, Dr. Pete, you kind of categorized saying three toxic things that are in our foods naturally occurring rather than as food additives are the polyunsaturates, the starches, and excess iron. So let's talk about starches. Starches, yeah.
2: Um. A man named Gerhard Fulkheimer, an immunologist in Berlin, uh, had apparently uh, read some of the older studies about 100 years ago, and he tested on his uh, medical students, uh, having them uh, drink a a solution, about a cupful of uh, cornstarch stirred into water, or or, uh, potato starch, various vegetable starches. And then he would draw a blood sample uh, periodically. And um, at at first it was very clear that within about 10 or 15 minutes of of drinking the starch solution, you would find a lot of of the unprocessed starch uh, pellets in the bloodstream are uh, the same size that they were when they were ingested mm-hmm. and uh in some of these uh, starches the diameter of the starch grain is as much as a hundred microns across ten wow. times wow. as wide as the cells that line the intestine mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: so how did they get through
2: um the process is called persorption but basically it just means they. uh are pressed on one side and they pop out the other side. Wow. Uh, the the cells are much more flexible uh, than people imagine.
0: And you said a hundred microns.
2: Yeah, that's, and, a, and a red blood cell is about that's, seven. That's potato isn't it? starch, I think. Yeah. And a, since the uh, capillaries are just a few microns yeah. across, and a, a red cell at ten or eleven microns yeah. has to bend a little bit to get through a capillary, uh, the starch grains can get if they're just the right size they could enter a capillary and get stuck but uh the bigger ones will plug the arterioles before they get to the capillaries okay and uh, so um, a uh, fed a high starch diet to mice and then sliced them up and uh, found that every organ uh, contained uh, <clears throat> Areas where cells had been killed by uh, yeah. plugging up an oh. artery with uh, oh, birth ischemia. Birth. Yeah, okay. And that it accelerated the aging process by killing areas in the heart and brain and kidneys and so on.
1: So that's um, causing uh, a heart disease then, basically.
2: Yeah. And in his medical students, um, after the first 15 to 30 minutes, uh, he tested the urine and found that. The same unprocessed starch grains were showing up in the urine uh, right through the kidney uh, organelles. Uh, And uh, uh, somewhat later, he found it in the bile. And even in the, uh, about an hour later, he could find it in the cerebrospinal fluid.
0: Wow. Okay, we do have a, I know I want to uh, explore this a little bit further, but we do have a caller on the line.
3: You're on the air? Hi, how are you doing? Good. And you? Good. I'm doing well. Thank you. I just want to thank you uh, for your show. It's a wonderful show and just really full of great information. Um, and I'm calling about my, I have a 13 year old daughter who has allergies and uh, I've heard you mention it a couple of times and, and uh, you we eat pretty well. We, we live locally and eat pretty good organic food. Probably about 15% is packaged, you know, just ice cream and bars maybe, or potato chips. or You know, I'm good. Anyways. Um, and so she had, my daughter has these allergies and it's, the symptoms are stuffy nose and then some bumps, sometimes on her face or sometimes on her legs. Um, we had her tested for allergies, and she tested positive for Johnson grass and some molds and then sensitivities to wheat, dairy, and corn. Mm-hmm. We did an elimination diet and determined that that those seemed to be the culprits and the dairy seemed to make her more stuffed up, and the corn and wheat sort of generated the bumps. Um, and I was just wondering if, you know, what what your how, would, what your take on that is, and, uh, it seemed to come on about when she, between six and eight years old is when, when these allergies started to manifest.
0: Okay, and how old is she now?
3: She's 13, about to be 14, so yeah.
0: 13, okay. yeah. Well, Dr. P, do you, uh, do you want to comment on this?
2: Uh, with allergies, uh, it's similar to, uh, autoimmunity, uh, except, uh, not so serious. <laughs> uh, the, uh, estrogen begins to rise especially in girls but in boys too around the age of seven or eight uh, it's distinctly rising uh, in in the average person and the estrogen uh, changes the immune function uh, tends to shrink the thymus gland uh, and increase antibody production without the uh, guidance of the thymus cells and uh, that seems to be why it predisposes to allergies, asthma, and uh, autoimmunity. Uh, asthma is now uh, very well recognized to be, be increased by uh, birth control pills, menopausal estrogens, or even the uh, cyclic premenstrual rise in estrogen. And partly that's the effect of lowering the blood sugar, because if your blood sugar falls, uh, the immune cells become much more reactive. Uh, An experimenter uh, gave animals, first he he ranked the food allergens from uh, nuts down to uh, some fruits. And uh, the the, uh, uh, mild allergens, if he lowered the animal's blood sugar with a a little insulin to 50% of normal, the mildest allergens could kill the animals with an allergic reaction. Mm -hmm. But if he infused glucose while exposing them to even the worst allergens,
3: uh,
2: the worst allergens might give them the sniffles uh, or, or a red nose, but mm-hmm. nothing worse. So uh, just increasing glucose or decreasing it can make uh, just a total difference in your sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And since thyroid and progesterone are the main things that, uh, allow your liver to store adequate glycogen and estrogen uh, is the main thing that interferes with that uh, That's why the aller- the um, sensitivities of various sorts come on around puberty
4: hmm.
0: Wow, okay good all right, so um, you know that's the other, probably another miss uh, misconception that sugar is bad for you Um Just say a little bit more about sugar in terms of its physiological effects and and, and maybe why the culture has been uh, turned off of sugar and onto artificial sweeteners.
2: Oh, the cultural thing is a a really complex story, but um, the white sugar um, was already being blamed for causing diabetes, Hmm. Uh, 150 years ago, and uh, the treatment for uh, diabetics was to absolutely forbid sugar, <laughs> which was a completely crazy idea. A, a French and an English doctor said that if they're losing a pound of sugar per day in their urine, uh, they're surely going to die sooner if they don't eat any sugar. Right. Mm-hmm. So he fed them up to uh, 12 to 14 ounces of sugar, Mm -hmm. Uh, he said the best white granulated sugar he could buy, and uh, he cured his patients just by feeding them as much sugar as they were losing.
4: Um,
2: (laughs) And the process of washing it uh, eliminates most of the allergens, so Mm -hmm. uh, the finest white sugar is really one of the safest Mm -hmm. foods available. Okay,
0: because I know there's, there's a very big trend towards... Uh, molasses sugar and the kind of brown golden sugars and... Okay, there's another call on the line, Dr. Pete. So let's, uh, call her. You're on the air?
4: Hi. I have some questions about coconut oil. Okay. Uh, first of all, could you explain the difference between, uh, the coconut oils and the coconut milks as far as what they are and their health effects? And, and, and then the other question I have has to do with a recipes for coconut oil. I find it works great in stir-fries if you mix it with sesame oil or something, but it doesn't really have a flavor that's conducive to, you know, eggs or things like that. And I'm just wondering if you have any suggestions for recipes for coconut oil that it, that would, would go well.
2: With. Thank you. The, um, the coconut water is a pretty safe material uh, when the coconut is uh, relatively... Fresh, the, the the liquid should be almost clear and and very sweet, and uh, it, it uh, it's uh, been used medically um, and it's uh, surprisingly low in allergenicity. But the the white material that is sold as milk is an industrial manufactured substance made out of uh, uh, basically emulsifying uh, some of the solids and oil with with uh, the liquid from the coconut
1: another source of guar gum i think it's in coconut milk
2: <laughs> and uh, the the solids in coconut uh, are very starchy and uh, can be pretty allergenic so i recommend using the highly filtered deodorized uh, form of coconut oil which is extremely cheap Currently, it's about $50 for a five-gallon pail of it, uh, where the uh, aromatic, uh, delicately scented ones that haven't been filtered, some people, uh, just a teaspoon of that can make some people very sick uh, from an allergic reaction to the starches that are left in it. And if it's very well-filtered, high-quality oil, uh, it, it tastes fine for frying chicken, I've been frying chicken in uh, coconut oil for many years, and uh, it, it works with eggs, but it isn't as tasty as butter for for some foods like eggs.
4: What's available here is uh, uh, the coconut oil, which is like a clear solid, like a wax almost, and, and that's what I've been using for stir-fries, and it doesn't seem to have quite the flavor that goes well with some recipes. And then there's the coconut milk that you buy in the cans that you use in, in curries, in Thai style foods.
2: Uh, yeah, so so that's been, what's, what's available. Uh, uh, there have been some studies of, in, even in the Philippines in which, uh, the people who used milk, uh, traditionally, uh, were having health problems. Uh, so it, it's, uh, even in the traditional forms, it is probably not a very good food to use.
1: Yeah, you sent us an article, Dr. Pete, that was showing an increased uh, risk of breast cancer in women in the Philippines who ate a lot of uh, coconut milk in their food recipes. But um, just to answer your question, caller, the Chautauqua sells the Tropical Traditions Expeller Press coconut oil, and I think you've um, had some of that too, Dr. Pete. That seems to be the best one I've found that doesn't have the coconut flavor. Therefore, it doesn't have the allergenicity that could be provided by the coconut. And it's um, relatively uh, tasteless, and it doesn't taste like anything, basically. It's the non-organic, expeller-pressed, tropical traditions, and they do sell it at Chautauqua. I don't know if you live in uh, Southern Hubble no, or Northern mobile.
4: Well, what I see available is this. This uh, waxy stuff—it looks like oil. I mean, it looks like the pure oil. And uh, but there, I guess there, I find confusion about the oil, the health effects of the oil, which I've heard you recommend quite a bit. And it, it seems to make me flush and raise my body temperature sometimes. And and the coconut milk, which sometimes I think has the same effect, um, but I don't cook with it that often because those recipes are so tasty that I overeat. So uh, anyway, I'm trying to, trying to figure out how to work it into my diet if it really has uh, has these positive effects in a way that makes it appetizing.
2: Thank yeah. you. Thank you for your call. One, one of the very pleasant ways to use the deodorized oil is to emulsify it. A little bit of egg yolk is all it takes. If you warm the oil and uh, the milk, just a touch of, of uh, egg yolk will Allow it to emulsify about 50% oil to milk or whatever concentration you want. And uh, you can make uh, ice cream or cheesecake, um, all kinds of uh, buttery, creamy consistency foods uh, using uh, instead of uh, cream or cream cheese, you can use uh, the coconut oil emulsified
3: okay very right, good thank you for let's that. let's
0: move on. I think I wanted to uh, cover the starches a little bit more, but let 's move on to um, the next ingredient the uh, g m o microbial enzymes and the vegetarian rennet uh, these are kind of cheese replacements. Will you talk a little bit about rennet and why Natural rennet from a cow's, a young calf's stomach is not being used now, but it's being genetically modified on yeasts and other microorganisms and how this has contributed to uh, allergies in people and people that say they can't eat cheese, etc. cetera?
2: It, I think it's the um, trace allergens, uh, parts of the, the fungus or the bacteria. Um, aspergillosis is a, a very serious disease, and and people who work in some of these enzyme factories are exposed to dust from the microorganisms and uh, develop uh, allergies of various sorts Uh, but uh, the uh, regulators assume that uh, the people who eat the the stuff aren't going to have (sighs) (laughs) same sort of reactions.
0: Aspendicillosis, that's farmers' lung, isn't it? Um, The
2: uh,
0: they get it from moldy mouldy straw, and it's uh, another respiratory uh, yeah. preoccupational disease for farmers.
2: Uh, yeah, and uh, all, all of the organisms used in manufacturing amino acids or proteins or enzymes, uh, all of them have their uh, risk of the impurities being left in the product. And uh, f- the food producers are being uh pressured in various ways to give up the natural material and uh, buy their stuff in a can and uh, do it in a like they were in a chemical lab rather than a kitchen. Uh, it, it's many kinds of pressure are are affecting the food supply so that mm-hmm. people are are coming to believe that the industrial way is necessary. Uh, You can see uh, government and uh, commercial websites that uh, say uh, these things are necessary for high-quality food. If if you're going to keep the food on the shelf for a a month or two, maybe it's necessary. But, uh, for example, Nancy's yogurt uh, used to be, or Nancy's cottage cheese, I mean, used to be, natural cottage cheese uh, and the way cottage cheese was always made was to drain the curd and salt it uh, and draining it left the um, curd free of uh, lactic acid mm-hmm. but uh, a couple of years ago uh, someone convinced uh, the, the uh, Nancy's yogurt people to uh, start using what they call a dressing consisting of of lactic acid and something else uh, to... Uh,
1: Dry milk powder.
2: Oh, yeah, to, to give the, the cottage cheese a very long shelf life. The lactic acid uh, suppresses uh, the growth of organisms, but uh, it's also just as toxic to the people who eat it as it is to the organisms that are being suppressed by it. It, um, it very quickly can stimulate the whole... Inflammatory uh, chain reaction, the same as the polyunsaturated fat. And uh, if that uh, inflammation is continued chronically, then it increases fibrosis. Mm-hmm. And uh, the same as, as radiation, any of these chronic inflammations uh, eventually increase the risk of cancer.
1: And we're told it's good for us. Lactic acid is great for your, for your intestinal health, right? That's what we're, we're told. We have a caller on the line.
0: We better be very quick, though, because it is four minutes, too, and I do want to uh, give people some more information about Dr. Ray Pete. So it's going to be for about two minutes, unfortunately, but uh, you're on the air.
2: All right, I'll take 10 seconds. I just wanted to ask, what do you think of olive oil and uh, canola oil? And I'll go off the air.
0: Okay, thank you.
2: In in small quantities, like a teaspoon for a full or so of uh, olive oil, it's fine and it's safe because it's only 10 percent of the toxic polyunsaturated fats. Uh, canola oil is uh, very high in the polyunsaturates, and uh, it it got its reputation as being a healthful oil about uh, 30 years ago when they learned to uh, lowered the erucic acid content but Hans Selye demonstrated that it is not the erucic acid which was causing it to uh, cause heart damage and and other degenerative processes it was the linoleic acid itself the so-called essential fatty acid which was causing uh, death of heart cells and he showed that just by adding acid from cocoa butter he could uh, neutralize the toxic effect on the heart so it, it's the ratio and uh, canola oil it has a very high content of the dangerous polyunsaturate
1: thank you for that doctor um, I just want to summarize the rennet with um, referring to the cheeses the Natural sources of rennet that have been used for thousands of years are animal rennet or non-animal natural sources are fig juice, nettles, thistles, mallow, creeping charlene, cardoon thistle, vinegar, lemon juice, or just letting the milk sour to form a curd. Artificial sources of rennet are enzymes, vegetarian rennet, microbial enzymes, and they are either derived from mold, so they're very uh, allergenic, or they're genetically engineered. So vegetarian rennet, folks, is not a safe uh, rennet.
0: Okay, well, we apologize for not mentioning Dr. Ray Pete's contact details at the end of last month's Your Hype Doctor. Uh, on the, we had the program on the dangers of medical radiation. Uh, it was very interesting, and unfortunately, uh, Dr. Pete wasn't uh, mentioned there as the, uh, the contact details. So he can be reached uh, on his website. He has a website, and it's www.raypeat.com. That's R A Y P E A T.com. Uh, and we can be reached toll-free on 1888 WBM Herb uh, for consultations or further information. And once again, uh, thank you, Dr. Pete, for joining us. Okay, thank you. It's always a pleasure. Well, we've uh, probably only got halfway through the food ingredients. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's a it's, it's an unfortunate thing about most people. They uh, Yeah, don't often think that much about what they are putting into their bodies and people should just take more time to look at the ingredient panels on the foods that they eat because you will find a lot of hidden material that does cause problems. So basically, take a good look at what you're eating. So thank you uh, to all of you who listen regularly and those who tuned in this evening.